Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Mary Sin. Wow, this guy is either a really great dom or he's an actual psychopath. And I'm a little worried because we won't know which one he is until he kills you. <laughs> and I was like, I know, right? That and more. But first, I want to say that we are now on the lookout for pitches from you for our Halloween episode and our winter holidays episode. So for the Halloween episode, those would be scary stories, typical things that might be, you know, horror movies might be made about this sort of subject, uh, paranormal activity or frightening scares with knife-wielding maniacs or, or anything you might see in a psychological thriller, you know, but real-life experiences, of course. And for our winter holidays episode, those tend to be anything that happens around that time of year, usually on the more fun and lighthearted side. So if you have a story that fits into one of those two buckets or you know someone who does, Please pitch us, get in touch with us. We are at risk-show.com slash submissions. And anyone out there who might be interested in one-on-one -on -one coaching from me, I've coached lawyers, doctors, preachers, teachers, uh, people applying for, you know, application essays, preparing for job interviews. I've helped tour guides with their spiels, social workers, life coaches, online influencers. I've helped people prepare their business presentations or pitches of things. I've helped performers with their solo shows, people write their memoirs or personal essays. I've done brainstorming with artists on their artist statement or even on their next project. I've also done a lot of coaching and mentoring around the, the world of BDSM and kink, you know, people making big life transitions around their sex lives or those kinds of transitional journeys you often hear people share stories about on risk. This has become one of my favorite things to do, this one-on-one -on -one sort of coaching, because it's so personal, it's so rewarding to like make progress with people, have breakthroughs with people, and just put our heads together to see how you might develop a more regular creative process, or how you might start doing some brainstorming on the whole area of storytelling for personal growth. You know, journaling, improvising stories, digging through the meaning of some of the themes that always come up in your reflections about your life. I mean, I'm not a licensed therapist, but you sure know I've done a lot of this sort of thing in helping people share their stories on risk. But I also love to make people little video messages to cheer someone up, wish someone happy birthday, do a little routine for someone, sing a little song, give a little pep talk, whatever it might be. You can find that at cameo.com slash the Kevin Allison. And you can find my one-on-one -on -one coaching at kevinallison.com. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. 
Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Now here's the show. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Delvin Lamar Organ Trio behind me now. And we're calling this week's episode On the Spot. Another fascinating episode. (laughs) I'm so thrilled with how we're doing lately. You know, on this episode, we are going to hear another story from our last Risk Live show at Caveat in New York City, and we've got another one of those shows coming up in August, on August 18th. That's 7 p.m. Eastern. You get your tickets at risk-show.com tour. It'll also be live streamed on YouTube for anyone outside of New York. You don't want to miss out On these live shows we're doing on stage again, it is so exciting. Of course, you have to show proof of vaccination to get in the room, but I think you can certainly hear on these recent several episodes just how phenomenally it has been for us to be back on stage. I've also been thrilled to be doing more coaching lately, more cameos lately. Our Story Studio corporate workshops, which usually aren't very busy during the summer, even those are going well right now. One thing I always have to remind myself is that this skill, storytelling, it never goes out of style. The ability to communicate in a very human, emotional, 
well-crafted, well-shaped way is always essential. People are just hardwired to want that. Now, this might sound unusual, but a couple months ago, a Risk fan named Elise from Copenhagen reached out and asked me if I could make some video messages for her friend, Marianne, who is from Korea, uh, but now lives somewhere in the States. And I thoroughly enjoyed doing that so much, but now I can't seem to get back in touch with Elise. So if you are a friend of Elise or Marianne's, or if you are Elise or Marianne, reach out to me at kevin at risk-show.com because I'm, I'm a little worried about what might happen there. Now, folks, in a little bit, we're going to hear a story that Nima Karazi first shared on one of our live streams back during lockdown. But before that, a story by Mary Sin that she shared at the most recent Risk Live show at Caveat in New York City. Mary is a burlesque performer, a sometime professional dominatrix. She told a classic story about that once called Sweater Love. You can find her on Facebook at Mary Sin, that's C-Y-N, and here she is now at the Last Risk Live show. It's Mary Sin with a story we call Let's Talk. Uh, so when I first started dating Lucas, one of my friends said, wow, this guy is either a really great dom or he's an actual psychopath. And I'm a little worried because we won't know which one he is until he kills you. <laughs> and I was like, I know, right? <laughs> I don't know why I'm like this. Uh, <laughs> I had a very happy childhood. My parents are very nice people. But for whatever reason, I have this sort of like, sexual death wish, I guess, um, which I'm starting to think I've taken maybe a little too far when I find myself strapped half naked to a table with Torrance, a man I really only know well enough to know that I should be afraid of him, uh, putting a straight razor into my mouth. Um, uh, let me step back just a little bit. Um, so the first thing that Torrance said when he was wheeled up to the end of the table where my head was, was, why are you looking at me? And I looked away immediately because uh, I knew better. <laughs> um, wheelchair or no, uh, Torrance was intimidating as fuck. When he stood up, he was about like nine feet tall. Um, don't quote me on that. It was maybe closer to six. Uh, and he had these like piercing blue eyes that just like haunted your soul. It was really easy to forget that uh, he had been sick for a really long time uh, fighting diabetes and that he was in a wheelchair, not because it was some luxury that was owed to him, but because uh, one of his feet had been amputated. Um, and that is why we have Jadis standing by with a very large rattan cane, looking kind of like a Barbie doll with military training. 
Torrance looks up at her and says, when I lift my finger, hurt her. Are there different degrees you want, she asks. Uh, like different, you know, like more fingers for more pain. And she's a little too eager for me, uh, especially considering she's supposed to be my friend. Um, she's actually probably my closest friend at this event, which means that she spent most of the weekend listening to me being a sad boy because Lucas has finally dumped me. So go get laid, she said. We are at a weekend event completely devoted to fucked up sex, so go get some. And I just kind of grumbled and was like, well, it's not that easy. And she just rolled her eyes because it should be that easy. I should be like a kid at a candy store, just like grabbing whatever looks good and just shoving it in my mouth. Because that's what I used to be like before I dated Lucas. Uh, But now I knew that some of that candy was poisonous. (laughs) And I didn't know how to tell the difference. So again, uh, Jadis is a friend of mine, which is hard to remember when she cracks that cane over my thighs, like right where the subway turnstile hits you, so I feel it for like a week, Um, whenever Torrance lifts his finger. And so after that first cane crack, he says, I expect an answer when I ask you a question. Is that understood? And I very quickly say yes. He says, good. Now tell me. When did you first begin to fear me? So as long as there has been a Torrance in my mind, there has been a fear of Torrance, but I don't actually remember any details, but that's that's not an answer. Um, And he expects an answer, which is a point that he drives home by putting a straight razor across my cheek. So uh, a quick uh, note about negotiation for people who aren't kinky. Um, So there's a thing that people do uh, before they start a kink scene. Uh, It's called negotiation where like you say what you want and they say what they want. And, um, you know, wherever that overlaps, that's really what your scene is going to be. And ideally, you'll talk about like any triggers you have or any like medical conditions that might come up and like what safe words you want to use. So for this scene I'm having with Torrance and Jadis, I should have done literally any of those things. <laughs> like one of those things, talked a little bit about it. In passing, probably would have been a good idea. Uh, But after two years with Lucas, I kind of forgot I could do that. Uh, He wasn't really a fan of boundaries. Um, If if I closed a bathroom door, he would open it. If I posted a private post on my live journal, he would demand to read it. Uh, he actually specialized in like tromping over boundaries I didn't even know that I needed to set. So he would end up saying things like, well, you never told me that I couldn't have sex with somebody else in the bathroom during one of your shows. And besides, we weren't even having sex. I was just punching her in the stomach for 20 minutes. So you owe me an apology. So after two years of that, my needs just kind of became so irrelevant, I tried to stop having them, which is probably why I am strapped to a table with a straight razor against my cheek. Also because it's hot, mostly the hot thing. Um, So it only takes a few questions and a couple of cane strikes to make it clear that 
I don't actually remember when I first met Torrance, and now I am fucked. (laughs) Because he says, well, that's very disappointing. I would hate to have you forget our time together tonight. Maybe I should give you something to remember it by. And he moves the straight razor in between my lips to just press against the corners and says, something you'll see in the mirror every single day. So a quick note about safe words. Um, Even if you're an idiot like me and you don't like negotiate or establish any safe words, um, the kink community has sort of a fail safe, uh, which is that we have this universal safe word of red. And that just means C needs to stop right now no questions asked, everything stops. And of course, that's not really a lot of help if you're playing with someone like Lucas, but um, if you're playing with someone who isn't a total psycho, it's actually pretty handy. But even if they are a psycho, if you're playing in a dungeon, everyone around you knows that that's a safe word. And there are people there called dungeon monitors who like their specific job is to step in just in case anyone tries to ignore a universal safe word. And I am in a dungeon. So I am completely safe. Uh, Mostly. Like, pretty much. Uh, Because there's, like, one tiny little detail, which is guess who is friends with and in charge of all of the dungeon monitors tonight. (laughs) If you guessed Torrance, congratulations, you're smarter than me. So I talk him out of any face lacerations, which... You know, that's good. Um, But he says, still, it's disappointing that you don't remember the first time that we spoke. Maybe you couldn't hear me. Oh, I know. And he moves the razor up to my ear and says, there's a little piece right here. Just a tiny little flap of skin But if I cut it off, your ears would be pushed forward and you'd hear so much better. You'd hear like a fucking bat. And then you'd never miss another word I ever said. Now, wouldn't that be lovely? And I could try to safe word. (laughs) But I find that I don't want to. I came to this scene wanting something, and even if I don't know exactly what it is, I can feel it just out of reach. And if I don't answer soon, I'm gonna get that cane again and there's only one answer I can give. So I look him straight in the eyes and I say, yes. Strength, that's why I do this. To remember how strong I can be. I spend so much of my life Being afraid, I needed to prove to myself that I could do something fearless, not just something reckless. 
And if that bravery cost me a small amount of skin, well, there are worse things to lose. Yes, what, he presses. I want to hear you say it. Yes, Torrance, I would like you to mutilate my ear. Please, he insists. Please, I say. And everything stops. I wonder if this is what faith feels like. My parents are always saying, let go and let God. And that sounds like it would be really freeing if I actually could believe in God or like thought that any God would like care personally about me. Um, so instead, I let go and let Torrance because some part of me needs to. Thank you for asking, Mary, he says with a voice like velvet. But I don't know you well enough. If I did, please rest assured that I would be taking a little piece of you home with me tonight. For the first time in a very long time, I have put my trust in someone and it was not misplaced. Tears erupt from me like <laughs> a drowning survivor coughing up water. There's been this something sick inside of me, this angry little knot of shame that told me that Lucas was my fault. <laughs> that I asked for it. And that I would have been fine if I wasn't so fucking weird. <laughs> and I feel that not break up and push out with the tears that I cry. Torrance puts the razor away and leans down and says with something like tenderness, I haven't played in three years. I didn't know if I could. I thought I might never play again. Thank you, Mary. This whole scene, his words have broken me down and carved me out. And now his thanks fill me up with gold. I never played with Torrance again, but we did become friends. And I got to watch his life change. <laughs> he didn't just keep on playing, he thrived. His health got better, he went out with his friends more, he met the submissive who would love him and serve him for the rest of his life. And I 
met someone too. <laughs> uh, the man that would show me how a healthy relationship could actually work. He was pretty cute and he'd caught my eye a couple times during the event and by the end of the weekend I managed to talk to him. He asked me how my weekend had been. I told him a couple stories and then I said, well, how about you? Any, uh, any great scenes this weekend? And he blushed a little and said, uh, no, I, I actually haven't gotten a chance to play. Um, I'm single, you know, kind of new to the scene. <laughs> and I said, well, that's got to change. And I took his hand and I looked into his eyes and I said, let's talk. Thank you. Welcome to the virtual stage, Nima Karazi! Thank you, everybody. The year is 1998. I'm 18 years old, and I'm in the car with my best friend, and we're going to go to my grandma's house to go swimming. On the way, we get lost. I'm terrible with directions, and I get lost all the time. But this time, we didn't just get lost. We ended up at a strip club, and we're 18 and we had our IDs with us. And we thought, this is it. This is kismet. We got to go inside. This is our, our first strip club. 
Before I tell you what happened inside the strip club, I need to tell you this other part first. I kind of did things a little backwards sexually. So I lost my virginity at 16. And I didn't start masturbating until 18. There wasn't really a whole lot of internet stuff available. It was very slow back in the late 90s. And mags and stuff didn't really do anything for me. And so there wasn't a whole lot available. So at 18, and then I go to this strip club, and my friend and I walk in, and this place is amazing. You know, we pay the cover, we sit. There's naked women on stage already. There's two women, they come and start talking to us. And, you know, we're nerds. We're like uber nerds. So this was like amazing. And then after like two minutes of conversation, one of the girls that's talking to me says, hang on a second, love. I got to go on stage. And she goes and gets fully naked. And I think... This is the shortest amount of time I've ever had to talk to a woman to get her clothes off. Usually (laughs) it's weeks and weeks of effort and time and energy I put into this. And I was hooked. That was it for me. I had to go to every strip club. I'm really an all or nothing kind of guy. So I had to go. So I started going everywhere. I had no qualms about where or when or what or who. I would go to the fanciest strip clubs with two levels and a $50 cover. And I'd also go to basement strip club with wooden chairs and one unpolished brass pole and an old arthritic dancer that I still got a a lap dance from it. (laughs) I'm telling you, I didn't care. And on top of that, there was a part of me that once I started going once a week, twice a week, three times a week. In my mind, I was kind of creating this connection with them. And I was trying to get these ladies to like me. That's really what I wanted. I wanted them to like me and I wanted them to have a connection with me. And I started listening to their stories. And after about the second or third time, I heard the story of I'm a single mom. I'm either living at home or with a lot of roommates and I have a lot of school debt or I'm in school currently. I was like, this is the same story over and over again. It's highly unlikely. Again, I was a nerd. So math was like my number one. So statistically, there should have been a lot of different stories there. So I'm listening to their stories and I'm still going all the time to these strip clubs. And my girlfriend had no idea that I was doing this. I even <laughs> I even called her before I did this show today to confirm you you had no idea, right? And she said I had no idea. I said, "Okay, good. Just checking. Just for validity's sake." So, she had no clue that I was going to strip clubs. My family had absolutely no idea. I was like the good kid, the good son, you know, nobody had any clue at all that I was like doing anything but working this job. That paid a decent amount of money going to school leisurely like two days a week for like four or five hours a day and just kind of living my life and being a studious good kid. My friends, on the other hand, they knew everyone knows this like fun time Tommy guy. If you go to a party and fun time Tommy is there, he's going to have some coke for you and you're going to do a couple lines with him. Right. He's just a fun time 
Tommy. Like, that's just who he is, right? So uh, that's who I was to my friends. I was like, oh, if you want to go to a strip club, you talk to Nima. He has a good time. He knows where to go. He knows the bouncers. He knows the knights, the girls. They had no idea what I was doing to feed this habit. I was maxing out my credit cards. I was getting credit cards at school and then totally maxing them out. I was emptying my bank account, spending all my money. I was ditching class and going to these clubs super early in the morning. So I would go at like 11 o'clock and you don't want to go at 11 o'clock because there's only two girls on call. So it's one girl who's dancing on stage and a second girl who's talking to you. And then they have to switch. It's very awkward. I mean, I kept doing it, but it's very awkward. And then one Saturday evening at 6 p.m., it all came to a head. Back then, ATMs aren't like they are now where they like scan your money when you put it in. Back then, you had to put your money in an envelope and then put on the envelope how much your deposit was and then also enter that amount in the keypad. So if you were depositing $100, you would write 100 on the envelope and then 100 on the keypad and then deposit the envelope. And then the bank would retrieve the money when they opened and then count it and then agree. But my bank trusted me trusted everybody. And so when you said to them, here's $100, up to $2,000, they would say, okay. And if it was cash, it's immediately available to you. So I went to the bank. I got an empty envelope. I licked it, sealed it empty, wrote $2,000 on the envelope, (laughs) put it in, typed $2,000 on the keypad. My bank said, Thank you, Mr. Nima. Your $2,000 is available in your account. And I said, I will take that. Thank you very much. And I took that money. And I spent that money. In 36 hours, I was done with that money. And I knew, the reason it was Saturday at 6, I knew that the bank was closed at 6. And the bank was also closed on Sunday, because they're a bank. So they wouldn't get the call till Monday. And remember, I told you about the credit cards. So the thing is, I thought it was going to be like my credit cards. I maxed out. The card companies are like, listen, you owe us this money. I said, I'll pay you. They said, okay, pay us monthly. We'll get it done. I said, great. So the bank is going to give me a little smack on the hand. No big deal. Everything's going to be cool. So Monday comes and I get a phone call from the bank. Mom and dad are at work. I'm living at home. Mr. Nima, you took this money out of the ATM and you owe us this $2,000. And if you don't pay it by the end of tomorrow, we're going to contact the FBI because this is federally insured money. And we're also going to contact the local police. And we're also going to contact check services so you can never have a bank account ever again. You have to give us this money. I don't have it, right? So I had to wait until that night for my mom and dad to get home and sit down and after dinner have a conversation with my dad and it went something like hey dad and he was like i'm gonna go watch tv (laughs) and at this moment i'm so anxious and nervous and scared that i'm gonna lose my family that i'm gonna say this terribly embarrassing thing to my parents And they're going to say, why would you do that? And I'm going to, my excuse is what? I like to pay women to pretend to like me. That's the response. That doesn't make any sense. So they're going to say, bye. We don't want anything to do with you. 
So this is my biggest fear. And I, I love my parents. I love my family, my sister, my cousins, everybody, my grandparents. And I'm going to lose it all because I made these stupid mistakes. So I'm so scared and I'm so, so nervous. And I say, Dad, I got to talk to you. I need you to come here. So we sit down and I say, Dad, the bank called and I took $2,000 out that I didn't have in my account. Long story, but they want their 2000 back by end of day tomorrow. And my dad said, so give it back. And I said, I don't have it. I spent it. And he said, well, what did you spend it on? And I said, no, it's just, it's gone. And I need, that's not important right now. I need you to take care of the $2,000. And my dad starts thinking, he goes, and what if I don't? I said, they're going to call the cops and the feds and I'm going to go to prison or jail. I don't even know the difference. <laughs> and I'm so scared. I can't even tell you. So that's what's going to happen. I'm going to go to jail. And my mom, this whole time in the kitchen, chopping vegetables at the table she doesn't even look up she's just sitting there chopping and she goes let him go to jail and then <laughs> continues chopping <laughs> my biggest fear and my dad says look don't worry about your mother i'll take care of this tomorrow you're good don't worry we'll figure it out so my dad goes and takes care of it everything is fine i had to pay my dad back and all that but my mom the next day opens my door in the bedroom and she says get in the car we're going and i said going where where are you going to drop me off in the woods and leave me there like where are we going and she says we're going to the doctor's office and you're going to take a drug test and immediately i'm like oh she thinks i'm fun time tommy she thinks i'm doing coke and i can't correct her i can't be like no mom it's strip clubs and there's these like naked wet it's a long thing so i said yeah fine let's go who cares what am i doing i'm going to prove to you it's not heroin and you're going to feel this much better about it. Fine. Let's go. Which by the way, if you ever tell someone, let's go take a drug test and they get in the car with you, you don't need it. You don't need it. They're clean. You don't need it. If you say tomorrow, they may get some fake pee. But if you say it right now and they get in the car, you're fine. Anyway, so we go see a, not my doctor. We go see a doctor. I don't know how, who, what, no clue. She went, she made me pee in a cup. I peed in a cup. I gave it to the doctor. We never talked about it again, ever, never. To this day, 16 years later today, my parents still don't know that I was addicted to strip clubs. That was my problem, and that's where I spent my money. We still don't talk about it. But the good news is I married someone who loves me for me, and I don't have to try to make her love me in any other way. I still don't go to strip clubs at all. And my friends still tease me about ATMs. If we're driving around and they see an ATM, they go, Nima, quick duck, the camera's going to see you. That helps really keep me humble. Thank you.
This is Risk. This is the Flying Lizards behind me now. And we just heard from Nima Karazi. Now, Nima has a podcast. He calls My Gastric Sleeve Podcast, where Nima talks about his weight loss journey from 410 pounds to his current 260. And as you can hear, he's a phenomenal storyteller. So check out My Gastric Sleeve Podcast. And before that, we heard a little excerpt of a song by Chromatics. Folks, the storystudio.org is where you will find so many storytelling training opportunities, like our two-day level one online group storytelling workshop on July 27th and July 29th at 7 p.m. Eastern with Cindy Freeman. There's also a storytelling for business workshop coming up on August 21st and August 22nd. And remember, the Story Studio teaches customized corporate workshops for businesses as well. All of that is at thestorystudio.org. I want to give a little shout out to some of our new Patreon members. Angela Schlegel, Carl Gontkoff, Pinky B., we are so, so grateful to anyone who gives $25 or more per month. We do a little shout out here, but anyone who becomes a Patreon member for any amount, there is so much to find there on Patreon. So many bonus stories, interviews with storytellers and staff members, uh, compilations of some of our anecdotes. The video versions of some of our story studio workshops, it's a wonderful opportunity over at patreon.com slash risk to help keep the show running and to, you know, avail yourself of all that bonus content. Also, if you want to make a one-time donation, that's at paypal.me slash risk show. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. 
Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Now, our final story on this week's episode comes to us from one of our favorites, Oz du Soleil. Oz has an amazing YouTube channel called Excel on Fire. He's been teaching people for years how to use the program Excel in dozens and dozens of ways that people might not have even thought of before. This story was told at one of our live streams during the lockdown several months ago, and uh, John LaSala added a little sound design to it as well. So without further ado, here now is Oz du Soleil with a story we call To the Whole World. I grew up in a housing project in a poor to middle class city north of Chicago. And this wasn't a housing project that was high rises like you'd see in Chicago and New York. This was this cut off cluster of two level row houses. But like a housing project, it could be dangerous. It could be hard to get a taxi driver to drop you off or pick you up. We would have to go out on 14th Street to pick up a cab. So over the years living there to stay off the streets, away from harm, out of trouble, I'm still to this day appreciative that my mother got this set of world book encyclopedias because I could spend my nights laid across the bed, grab some random book out of the encyclopedia and open up and see this whole world. Breeds of snakes and dogs and birds. Read about Papua New Guinea, Wyoming, Scotland. There was a world out there. And I got enamored with Hawaii. Flipping those pages and looking at the palm trees and the people and what they wear. When I was like eight or nine years old, I figured out how to cobble together a phone number that would get through to Hawaii. And while I'm doing this, an operator pointed out to me, that's not Moi, that's pronounced Maui. Oh, okay, got it. So I started putting together numbers and a lot didn't go anywhere, but some did. Hello? Yeah, you're in Hawaii? Yeah, I'm in Hawaii. What, what, what do you want? Who is this? Uh, what is Hawaii like? What, what do you mean? How old are you? I'm eight. Your parents let you make long distance phone calls like this? And then they'd either get irritated or I'd get nervous and they'd hang up and I'd call around, try to find another number that worked and talk to somebody else. And then one day I hear my mother we don't even know anybody in Hawaii. You gotta take these calls off the bill because there's, there's no reason for anybody here to call Hawaii. 
<laughs> so I, I feel my little eight-year-old testicles shrivel up. My stomach starts fluttering. And I get real still. Because I don't want to give off anything that would suggest to my mother that I was the one that made those calls. <laughs> People even sent out a technician. Nope, nothing wrong with the phone lines. You got to pay that bill. But I talk with people from Hawaii. But I wasn't in Hawaii. I was in this housing project trying to keep safe. And when I was 19, I was going to community college. Because college was going to get me out of there. And this one night, about 9 p.m., I get off the bus and I got about six blocks to walk. And I turn the last two blocks. And that's where I can look straight down the street and see where I live with my mother, my brother, and my younger sister. And I see a little fire. Then I realize the fire is under a car. And then I see our neighbor, Ron, is circling this car. And I'm walking closer and closer. And then I could hear he's crying and he's kicking at this thing under his car that's on fire. All right. I've been here long enough in the projects to know, leave this alone. Because I don't know if this was an accident of his own doing or if a crazy ex did it. But if this was a gang sign that he was supposed to leave the projects, I don't want any parts of that. Because they can interpret that as I don't mind my own business. And then there could be consequences and repercussions for me and my family, for me not minding my own business. So I walk past this guy. He's less than 10 feet from me, crying. His car is on fire. Just walk past him, and we don't acknowledge each other. I go into the apartment, sit down in front of the TV. I hate living in the projects. I thought about the fights and the shooting and the guy who was run over and then backed over in his own yard and the stampede of people one afternoon they they ran right across the yard and they were chasing a rival gang out of the projects and somebody turned around and shot blankly into the crowd killed this high school kid hate this place and a couple days later I was walking past Ron's apartment. I could see right inside it. No curtains, no shades, no furniture, just the floor, ceiling, walls, and shadows. He was gone. And that night, there were two voices walking around the projects. Ron Foster don't live in the projects no more. You hear me? You see Ron Foster in the projects? You tell him to get the fuck out and you tell somebody. You hear me? I heard it. I recognized the voices. I didn't go to the window to verify it. I supposed to mind my own business. But I got the message. And I hate living here. But six months later, my mother did say, 
you can't live here anymore. And I was just being a 20 year old asshole. I wasn't anything violent or drug related, anything. She just got fed up with me disappearing and going, staying with my friends for days and then showing up out of nowhere, eating all the groceries, making phone calls and not paying the bill. She had enough of me. So I called my friends, Eric and Rhonda. Stayed there one night, two nights, three nights. Rhonda starts saying, do you have a plan? Ozzy, Ozzy, you can't stay here. Have you talked with your mom? And yeah, I had talked with my mother. And I got a sense that my mother was trying to splash some cold water on me. Get me to straighten up, wake up. But in my 20-year-old mind, I took that as if I apologize and promise to do better, she would have won. I don't want her to win. But really, I did not want to go back to projects. And I started sensing, you know, I, I do this whole associate's degree thing. I'm going to be 20, 21 years old with an associate's degree, working at a mall, and still living in the projects. I need something different. I thought about my father, my uncle. They had both been in the Navy, told me stories about where they had been. And I went downtown, Waukegan, Illinois, straight to the Navy recruiter, and he started a recruitment spiel. No, no, I am ready to join the Navy. And from the time that my mother put me out, to the time I was entering the gates at Great Lakes Naval Station for boot camp, it was a whole 10 days. And I was ready to cut off my past as a civilian. I was gonna be Mr. Navy, marching forward, left, right, left, attention, hand salute, ready to parade, rest. That was my future. And I got into this company with this, it was a total of 90 of us. And our compartment was this long room with 50 sets of bunk beds, 25 on each side. By this time, it's, we're about a weekend and we've got our shaved heads, we all got our uniform, they even traded out our glasses. We got all the same glasses we're wearing. And the company commander comes in, tall, skinny guy, like one of those strong, like, this guy's got some power. I don't know where he's hiding it, but this skinny man, don't fuck with this man. And he would lean forward. He said, all right, everybody come up here. And we sat cross-legged on the floor, all 90 of us. Pull out your notebooks. I want every one of you swinging dicks to write down why the fuck you joined my Navy. And don't give me no flag-waving bullshit about defending the country. Oh man, that just cut. Cause I wanted to move forward. But the way he said this and the words that he used let me know he didn't want some flag waving bullshit. He wanted to know the truth. And I wrote about how I hated the projects, the neighbor's car on fire, living on Rhonda's couch until she says, look, you need a plan. And here I am in the Navy. And a few of us talked afterward. Found out that there were some other guys in the Navy who were running from things. 
One guy abandoned his wife, didn't tell her he had joined in the Navy. Another guy, his mother was a prostitute and a heroin addict in, in Houston. He needed a new future. And another guy from Iowa, his future was his father's chicken farm. That was it. And he needed a future that did not have eggs and feathers in it. Here he was in the Navy. And we got on through. And seven months after joining the Navy, I'm on my second plane ride ever in life, flying to Orlando, Florida. And I'm getting a paycheck and I got money and I can go to the mall and I can rent a car with my friend Williams and go to Daytona and all over the place. I'm living life. And then we go to San Diego and then Groton, Connecticut. And I got to see Times Square before it got cleaned up many times. And then finally was stationed in Charleston, South Carolina, where I got up, was stationed on a submarine. And we went on a six month cruise. And the first time that I saw the Rock of Gibraltar was through the periscope of a submarine. And the ship went to Toulon, France. Oh my gosh, I, I, I could take the train into Paris. It's just five hours. And I did that. And I only had 24 hours in Paris. And I'm sure my teacher from high school would have been proud. Even though I got an F in high school French, I learned enough to where I could read a menu, get around. I had a great time. I walked Rue de Clichy, uh, uh, Champs-Élysées. I saw the Arc de Triomphe, the Eiffel Tower. And right before I had to go back to get on the train and go back to the submarine in Toulon, okay, I'm gonna go to the Louvre and go see Mona Lisa. All right, so get to the Louvre and follow the arrows and everything. Mona Lisa. I edged my way up past the crowd. This thing is smaller than I expected. So walk around the Louvre a little more and then boom, I turn a corner. There, Venus de Milo, right there. And it took me back to being this little black kid in the projects trying to stay safe in the encyclopedia. And so many times I saw that black and white picture, maybe two by three, Venus de Milo, that twisted torso and the no arms. It's right here, behind some ropes. And it didn't take a million dollars or a rocket ship or a time machine to get here. And I felt my face get cold. And his tears start coming and I start thinking, the world is so big but accessible all of a sudden. I don't belong to the projects. I belong to the whole world. I am free. I'm free.
understand you by and by. Just move on up toward your destination. Though you may find from time to time complication. That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is Curtis Mayfield behind me now, and we just heard from Oz du Soleil. Well, folks, don't forget, August 18th, we are back up on stage at Caveat on the Lower East Side in New York City, 7 p.m. Eastern. You can also see it live streamed if you're outside of New York on YouTube, but you got to get your tickets at risk-show.com tour. There's a lot of wonderful merchandise to be found, including the Risk book. If you go over to risk-show.com shop, another thing you can learn about on our website is how to submit to us. For example, have you ever wanted to share a short anecdote on the show or over on Patreon? We just put another one of those wonderful anecdote compilations over on our Patreon There's special instructions on how to share one of those super short stories that focus on just one incident at risk-show.com slash anecdotes and information on how to share longer stories at risk-show.com slash submissions. You can also follow us on our socials. We're at risk show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at the Kevin Allison. The Risk Podcast Fans Discussion Group is on Facebook, great place to talk about the podcast with fellow fans, as is our subreddit, Risk Podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. If you've never gone over to Apple Podcasts, the iTunes realm of things, to give us a five-star rating and a, you know, a good review, that helps a show out a great deal. It brings attention to a show. And if you've never told friends and family to check out Risk and show them how to download it and maybe point them to a favorite story of yours or one of our best of risk episodes people love starting out with those folks today's the day take a risk take nothing less than the suffering best do not obey, rumors people say, but you can pass the test. Just move on up to a greater day. With just a little faith, if you put your mind to it, you can surely do it.
Now, this might sound unusual, but... Uh, and, uh, 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 u